This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. Almost everyone out there is hoping that there's some kind of return to normal by August, September. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And today we begin with the NHL saying, yeah, we're going to play hockey. Uh, It's going to be a 24-team return. Jason? Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating that they've been able to pull this all together or almost pull it all together. I mean, there's still some big open questions about where this is all going to take place. But to some extent, amid all the sturm and drang with the other leagues, and I know we'll talk about baseball a little bit later on, I mean, the NHL kind of pulling it all together, which I don't know if it's a tribute to Bettman, if it's a tribute to the players. I I don't know. Who gets credit for uh, this relatively early win, Michael? Lynch? Well, Donald Fair represents the players, and uh, of course he used to represent Major League Baseball players, and so he knows how to get things done. But I've dealt with all four professional leagues in my career, and heads and shoulders, the most common sense, nicest, easiest to deal with guys are hockey players. They're so good, there's no other sport that comes in second place to them. So they want to get back. They're reasonable. They're not contentious. Uh, they, they love their game. And, and I, I give the credit to the players and the Players Association. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, how do you think this ultimately plays out? Because as I understand it, they're going to play this season, obviously shortened, but then they're talking about a full-on 2021 season. And and the comment I saw from Bettman this morning was essentially like, yeah, it sort of doesn't matter if we start in November, December, even in January. We're going to play a full season. All the cities are on board. It's a surprising lack of drama. It is. He says that the Stanley Cup is probably going to be played in late September or early October and then would give the teams a break. But I don't know how you slam in a a season that starts in January that normally starts in the first week in October. This whole playoff thing has got me a little bit confused. I wouldn't be happy if I were the Boston Bruins or the St. Louis Blues who uh, had the uh, most points in each conference and probably should be awarded the number one seed when those other teams play their best, the other 16 teams play their best of five. Now, they're going to play a little round robin, sort of like uh, the Olympics, and then they'll get into the medal round. But, you know, the Bruins in St. Louis could go 0-3, and and all of a sudden now they're the number four seed instead of the number one seed. But the only thing that they won't be giving up here is home ice advantage because we're going to be playing in some neutral sites, some hub, as they call it. Right. Michael Barr, as a fan, what what do you make of this? Is this just like you're happy for any sports <laughs> at this oh. point? Or what does it say to you about the state of things overall? I am extremely happy. Uh, as a native Detroiter, we have a history of the Detroit Red Wings. So I, I am happy to see hockey. I, I adore hockey. And one of the things, and, and Mike Lynch said it earlier, it's going to be a neutral sign. And it looks yeah. like at least Vegas is going to be a near lock to be one of the hub cities uh, and that's important for two reasons. One, yes, it's a neutral site. And two, you're talking about the city of gambling. Yeah. So there's going to be a business there of making bets on the ice, Jason. 
Well, and I mean, there has to be some economics to this all around. No fans, obviously. I mean, we are dealing with a fanless world uh, or a spectatorless world, at least on site. You know, I've been reading so much about it. I don't think we have a full appreciation other than some, you know, South Korean baseball as to what that actually looks and feels like. I mean, Michael Barr, I know we keep coming back to this idea in part because I'm obsessed with it. What does no fans feel like to you? And and obviously we're all going to experience it, but how much do you worry that it's going to take something away from the game? I wonder if they're going to do what they, I think what they're doing in Japan, where they're kind of piping in right. the, the the fans coming in. So everything is on remote. So it, it it's you know so the fans can have a way to cheer through the brilliance of technology. And I'm wondering as time goes along if that will be something that we'll see not only in hockey, but we'll see it uh, in all sports, I hope. so. Does we'll that see. work for you, Mike Lynch? Piped in, well, piped in fan noise? A little bit. You know, teams have been fined for it. You know, you're right. the Falcons, I think. Have, have fined. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. <laughs> but you know what it reminds me of? As a Boston guy, you're never allowed to say the word Falcons, okay? Can we just uh, stipulate that? <laughs> and there's two numbers I can never say either. Yeah, 28 no, and exactly. Three. Exactly. Never Any combination those. of 28 and 3, it's too soon. <laughs> but you know, you know what it'll remind me of is, you know, up here, we go to a lot of Bruins practices, and there's scrimmages going on. And there's no fans there. There's just reporters. And all of a sudden, there's a goal. It's like, oh, a goal was scored. So, But when you're at a live event and there's 18,000 people there yeah. and a goal is scored, the place goes bananas. So other than the red light going on behind the, the, the goaltender up and above the glass, I mean, you really got to kind of pay attention to the game. I do wonder, Michael Barr, if... And, and this sort of moves us a, a little bit into the next topic, which we have many segues here. We could talk about uh, that 28-3 when, and talk about Mr. Brady. But also the idea that with the match, which we saw over the weekend, one of the great innovations in many ways was, you know, everybody being mic'd up and being able to hear everything that was going on. I, I mean, one of the things we may get to hear with fanless or spectatorless games is a lot more of what's going on among the players, which, you know, could cut both ways, Michael. <laughs> they better have a seven-second delay because it's going to be quiet on the ice. And if someone gets cross-checked that they don't really appreciate, oh, yeah, I want to I hear that audio. That's going to be good. And you talk about the audio. It's a good segue to move into the match and it was one of the most watched golf telecasts in the history of cable television. And come on, guys, let's admit it. I'm going to say it. Tiger Woods has some cute legs. They were wearing those shorts, man. I was I was kind of taken aback. It's like, oh, okay, this is uh, the way we're going to do it here. And it was a lot of fun to watch. A little bit of jaw jacking. It, it looked like four guys having fun playing on the golf course. I loved it, Mike Lynch. I mean, you you and I were talking before we came on air, and it was appointment television in a way that we have not had uh, other than, like, Last Dance or, or something like that. I think you, not to sell you out, but, like, you rushed in from your garden to make sure you saw it, right? I was. I was putting together a little tomato garden, and I had it on the TV, and so I go in. 
And so uh, I could stand outside with my muddy shoes and look through the screen and watch the start of it. And one of my daughters, 30-year-old daughters, is watching like the Real Housewives of someplace. And I said, what are you doing? Put it back on TNT. Right. I want to watch the golf. <laughs> so I took my muddy shoes off and I was horizontal for about five hours. <laughs> yeah. And it was good television in many ways. I mean, I think we were all pleasantly surprised. You know, watching it, it felt like there were so many times that it sort of could have taken a left turn and even you know the weather didn't really cooperate they literally burned the last ounce of daylight it felt like as it went along but the rapport among the four of them was good i think and as has been stipulated i'm not a huge tom brady fan for for the obvious reasons having rooted for the atlanta falcons for a long time but Brady not completely losing his mind, given how poorly he was playing to start, was actually sort of impressive. I don't know if there was some meditating or something going on there, but it was a blast. I think they should do it every weekend, Michael. It was an average of 5.8 million viewers for watching this event. And between 5.45 and 6 p.m., it peaked at 6.3 million viewers. And then at 7 p.m., they were watching The Real Housewives of Somewhere. (laughs) That was very funny. The the daughters of the world finally took the remotes back and were like, enough, enough. Go finish your garden. That was very good. I, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was great entertainment. Um, you saw a side of Phil Mickelson and, and Tiger that you'd never see before. You know, Tiger says, this is what I have to put up with every single week on the tour. Yeah. And Brady, I thought he was a little bit of a poor sport with his erratic play uh, until he, you know, aced, uh, I'm not aced, uh, knocked that shot in for Bird from Bird. Yeah, he hold that, yeah. Yards. Yeah, and uh, and then all of a sudden he his, his whole attitude changed, and he split his pants, you know, which is... <laughs> I, I keep thinking back to Zion Williamson when his Nike sneaker fell right. apart. You know, so now is this a good thing or a bad thing from Under Armour that Tom Brady's pants split when he made the shot of the day? Hey, yeah. we're bowling. Oh, I'm sorry, that was <laughs> bad joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, there was definitely a, a lot, Mike. To your point about Phil Mickelson, I mean, I I think we did see a side of him. You know, sort of the coaching that that he was doing, I thought was really actually interesting to watch. And I do going back to something we were saying earlier. I do wonder if some of that carries over, especially as we deal with spectatorless sports, if we do sort of get inside the proverbial helmet as we've been doing more and more. We've been inching toward this, it feels like, over the past few years, and we've got to find a way to make these broadcasts new and different. I thought they also did a very good job from a production perspective with the different cameras, you know, the, those golf cart cameras were great. Uh, it, it was very intimate in a way. And if you're not going to have, you know, people in, in the case of golf walking along the course, if you're not going to have spectators in the stands, you're going to have to do something for the at-home audience to to really engage them. And I, and I thought they did. I thought they did a nice job. And you have to think other sports were watching that very closely. Well, speaking of other sports, Major League Baseball is trying to come back. Well, let me put it this way. The league put some offers on the table to the Players' Union, and the MLB Players' Association kind of gave it the side-eye because they were not happy with the offers at all, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking to so many people about this, and, and I think about it as a longtime baseball fan. And I think we've talked about this on this program before as someone who, you know, even at the ripe old age of of 40, how old am I? 46. Like I feel much older than my years because I talk to my teenage kids and they 
couldn't care less about baseball. I feel like I've failed as a father to some extent, but at the same time, I know that they're fairly representative, and I feel pretty strongly that if baseball blows this, like if they can't figure out a way to get together and get this game on the field, this could this could mark the death knell to some extent of this sport, and it is not a good look right now, and I think it's only exacerbated when you have the NHL getting back to business. I think by the time some people listen to this, if they're you know behind on their podcast, we could have a deal for the NBA. You've got NASCAR back up and running. You're going to see golf next month, and baseball will be conspicuously absent, Mike Lynch, and I just don't know what it's going to take. Well, they picked a bad time to get into a fight over money. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just is, it does not resonate well with anybody in this country for all the obvious reasons. And you made a great point about there will be so many other choices between the NBA, NHL, NFL, golf, and NASCAR. And people will say, you know what, let's just forget the whole season. I really don't care about baseball. I don't care that the owners are going to lose 75% of their revenue. I don't care that a guy that's making $10 million is only going to make $2.9 million. I get my own problems. Stop whining to me. So I, I talked to someone yesterday who was good friends with someone in the Players Association. He said they're so far apart on this money thing, and they're very far apart on the health and safety issue, yeah. and that some owners, he was told by Players Association, some owners would just as soon fold the tent and call it a year. Wow. What do you think of the long-term implications of that, Michael? Well, I remember the strike about 20-something years ago when it wiped out the World Series and and all of that. And it took baseball a long time to get back on its feet. Now, obviously, the pandemic is is something nobody could have foreseen right away, canceling on all sports. But it's one thing if you want to argue about the, the health and safety of the players. I get that. But like Mike Lynch, like what you were saying, when you talk about money, and forget the high end. The low end is making what about a million dollars, maybe a, a high six-digit figure. Yeah, and, I think it's five fifty, five hundred fifty thousand. I think is right. the minimum. Yeah, yeah, and 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 meanwhile, the the minor league players, uh, the Oakland A's, they just said, hey, we're not going to pay the minor league players after June first. So you tell somebody like in the minor leagues or, or anything like that, it's like really you're you're mad about you know because you're going to get less million dollars and people can't eat. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, and I also worry about the ecosystem and the, and the knock-on effect of this of you know a game, an, a game or a series of games not going off. And and we've talked about this before, but I think it's a real thing. I mean, ultimately, this is the business of sports, and the business of sports, you know, the ecosystem around these teams is massive, and it's not just the players. It's the trainers and it's the ushers and it's the concessionaires and it's all these places around these stadiums around the country that that are really going to suffer. And it's just a bad look. I mean, Mike Lynch, you know, you alluded earlier to, you know, covering the, the four major sports and knowing them as intimately as you do. How much of this do you think falls on Manfred and especially in contrast to a Bettman or a silver. We'll set Goodell aside because he's not really in the hot seat quite yet. But those other two guys, they've been knee-deep in it in the same way that Manfred has. It just doesn't look good for him. 
No, it doesn't. And I don't think Manfred has the uh, uh, respect of the public that Silver does. Or, and Bettman didn't have a lot of respect for a long time anyway. But again, the success or, or the ability to get back on the ice, I give to the players yeah. in hockey. And I, I, I alluded earlier that the hockey players rank number one and no one else is number two. I can tell you who's dead last in terms of dealing with professional athletes, the baseball players. They're the yeah. most selfish, the most, the most arrogant, the hardest to deal with, the rudest, could care less about anybody but themselves. They just, uh, they, they really sign autographs they really interact with the fans it's tough to deal with in the media and they have the most powerful union but they are the most obstinate group of the four major sports see this is why we can't have nice things (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i do just think you know i keep going back to to the nba and how and and hockey obviously i think you very rightly pointed out mike is is the pinnacle here and zero drama there but very little drama in, in the NBA at least so far or or what we've heard in terms of you know silver being able by some published reports to get a key group of players together a few weeks ago to sort of hammer out these issues sort of bring them into the tent as it were I saw one writer refer to that and by all accounts we will have uh, a deal coming up for the NBA to get back to business Baseball, we know, is complicated. The economics are very different, and they rely heavily on the gate for their revenues. But, man, it is, it's, hard to, it's hard to defend this situation in many ways. It, it's hard to be understanding, uh, even knowing, I think, the three of us uh, certainly combined know enough to be dangerous about this. And it's hard for us, understanding this, to really say, well, you know, you got to cut them some slack. It's hard to cut them some slack here. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to admit, I don't see how they're going to get 82 games in as far right. apart as they are right now. I don't see it. Now, having said that, I'm a huge baseball fantasy fan, so and I love playing the game. In fact, we just sent out a note. It's like, hey, what are we going to do about the league, fellas? And and I'm all in. And it's like I, whatever they decide, it's like, let's go. But yeah. I just don't see it. Well, they need to they need to kick it into gear for sure because they are going to get as we've been talking about they're going to get passed by to a large extent and I think fans will only wait around for so long and I think the population of die-hard baseball fans is dwindling and people are fickle and especially right now they're gravitating toward whatever they can watch and if baseball is the fourth or fifth or sixth depending on your definition to get back uh, they may find that people are distracted doing other things we will keep an eye on this and much more you've been listening to the bloomberg business of sports podcast i'm jason kelly find me on twitter at jason kelly news and remember there's no crying in baseball i'm mike lynch you can find me at lynchy at wcvb <laughs> and I'm Michael Barr at Big Bar Sports at Real Housewives Somewhere. And we're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world, money, and sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world, and online, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg.